Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Dear Trailer Talk family, I'm wishing you a new year filled with the possibilities of us. Let's keep holding each other as we enter 2023, demanding a world of kindness and connectivity. Following are excerpts from the last year from Trailer Talks in the Neighborhood Project. I'm excited to begin conversations with you in the coming year. I am so excited that my guest for this episode of Trailer Talk is Adrian Jensen. Adrienne is many, many things, and she will share with us how she identifies and the kind of work that she does. She is the executive director for the Office of Human Rights in Sullivan County, New York. She is a mediator, a humanitarian, a facilitator. She does conflict resolution. And like I said, she's going to fill us in more about who she is. Welcome, Adrienne. Thank you so much for taking your time. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You're so welcome. So how about you share with us who you are? That's such a good question. That's actually something that I ask in my workshop. <laughs> so let's see how, how good I am at, at saying who I am. Um, I am a native of Cal Northern California. Um, I am a mom. I am um, a mediator. Because I just said I was a mom. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, that will be useful. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I work with conflict resolution. Um, I'm a black woman. I live in a rural community, um, which is predominantly white, and has had its challenges with racism. Um, I am a gardener. I am vegan, but I'm not a preachy vegan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm vegan because it's something that's important to me for many different reasons. Um, I feel like we all do good in the ways that we can. So, you know, I don't judge others for their, their food choices. I don't know if I'm an activist. I think that people would probably say that I am, but I just think I'm a person, you know, who tries to that asks, I ask myself regularly, am I okay with how I lived the day? Mm. Right. So, um, am so, I okay it, with the way I lived the day? Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe that's like being an activist through just living and, you know, and having that be an example in some sort of way. If there's a crowd of people doing something, you will almost never see me in it. <laughs> This is so fascinating, and yeah. yet you are the executive director of the Office of Human Rights in Sullivan yeah. County, New York. Yeah. You teach anti-racism workshops. Yeah. So, so then think? how did you come to the work that you do? I think that that has been something that I've been involved in since I was very young. My mom was... Uh, Involved, so you know, I grew up in in uh, Northern California, as I I mentioned, in a predominantly white uh, town, 
and growing up, uh, there were many opportunities for racist events in my life. <laughs> Various what? <laughs> racist events in my life. There were many opportunities that, you know, were made available to uh, myself, my brother and our family. And my mom at that point became, uh, she, she was someone who worked with the police in, in our town to educate them to, you know, and this is, you know, going back, I won't say how long, but, you know, quite a while. But give um, us an idea of, of what period uh, decades. this. <laughs> decades. Um, this would have been back in the 70s, you know, just educating the police and making them more aware. I mean, I can think of a, a situation where my brother was, um, who's quite a good runner, track star, um, played golf. And, you know, the, he was involved in a lot of different sports. And one day he had a, a track meet and he had forgotten his cleats at home and he he got on now what happened he got on a bike I think this is how the story goes he got on a bike and he was riding home rode home got his his cleats and then he was going to take the bus back to school and he was running right to get to the bus and the police stopped him and um, took him in and said that they had, and you know, he was probably like 16 years old or something. And they said that they needed him for a lineup for someone who had committed a crime. And the person who had committed a crime was um, about 35, 40 years old. I think that probably began the educating of the police because my brother then experienced that on many different occasions in our in our town. Not that same thing, but you know. And so I, you know, I think I learned from uh my mom and I think that she set a really good example of um um how to address those kind of issues. She was very much a community person. Um we had a community garden when I was growing up. My grandmother had a very large piece of property behind our house and um allowed my mom to use that as a community garden and you know she would put out extra vegetables for joggers who would jog past because our town had a lot of joggers and people you know the people who used the community garden would exchange you know fruits and vegetables and um you know it's just a lovely experience so for me wherever I go it's important for me to create a community my guests are Laura Flanders who is the founder and host of the Laura Flanders show it is a cross-platform media project that is on PBS stations, almost 300 across the country. There's also a podcast and a radio show, and it's available on the Laura Flanders Show YouTube channel. And Ramsey Adams, who is the founder and the executive director of Catskill Mountain Keeper, it was founded in 2006. It continues to be charged with protecting the Catskills. And we're going to find out what that means and what it means to be advocating for the environment across a multitude of issues. So welcome, Laura. Welcome, Ramsey. Oh, it's great to be here, Sabrina. Thank you. I'm so excited. And Laura is just such an amazing, one of the most important voices, political commentators in the country, and certainly the leading progressive voice. So it's an honor to be here with you at the table with Sabrina. I'm, I'm blushing here behind the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so we have 
Laura Flanders and Ramsey Adams, two people who are involved with movement building and raising awareness and finding the strategies to do that. I want you both to jump in because I'm excited that we're all based in Sullivan County, New York and the Catskills and that Ramsey's work with Mountain Keeper is based throughout the Catskills, but he's very rooted in Sullivan County. And Laura, the Laura Flanders show is based also in Sullivan County, New York. And I think maybe many people aren't aware of that. Well, it is now. It has been for the last three years. And what a joy it's been. And I have to say, in the interest of full disclosure, that Sabrina and I do work together on the show. Sabrina is producer extraordinaire, and I couldn't do what I do without her. But yeah, I mean, I started covering global wars and conflicts and flying all around. Then we got based in New York doing programming for Air America and Pacifica and all sorts of outlets, MSNBC and you name it. But in the last five years, I've spent more time up here in the Catskills where I've had a cabin for decades since the 80s, if you can believe it. Wow, maybe it's your influence, Ramsey, or yours, Sabrina, that has led me to think that there's really no place better in the world to be reporting on shifting power in this country um, and the world than right here in Sullivan County. So that's where we've been doing our show every week for the last three years without interruption. It's been great. And it, I think it's going to continue. Why the heck not? With your help. Thank you, Laura. And Ramsey? So that's amazing. I want your listeners to just take a moment and answer the question to themselves, what are the cat skills? Just take a second and think about that. What are the cat skills? The cat skills uh, are definitely a region, you know, the Catskill region. That means something. I'm not sure what. Definitely a mountain range, but maybe not because it's a glaciated plateau. So does that mean it's a mountain range or not. There's some debate about that. It's part of the Appalachian range that runs across these part of the United States. But it's also a park. It's the Catskill Park. And that's the first park uh, along with the Adirondacks. First park, the first wilderness in America established by Teddy Roosevelt at the turn of the century. So it's a really interesting place and it's really big. It's 6,000 square miles, depending on what you're talking about, but the park or the region or the range. So it's really interesting and fascinating to be the advocacy organization promoting a place that's so diverse as the Catskills. So that's the challenge. And it's really fun. I often take people for a drive in my car and I'm like, have you ever been to the Catskill Park? And they're like, I don't think so. And I'm like, well, guess what? You're in it right now. You're in the park. It is the most beautiful place. And it's so important for the economy and ecology of both New York State, New York City, and the country. Thank you, Ramsey, for taking us there, taking us into this region where the three of us are right now. Because Laura Flanders' show, as you shared, Laura, is a show that Well, why don't I share the tagline or actually rather, why don't you, because it it is something that I love and I think it's going to take us there. And then it's going to also then take us into Catskill Mountain Keepers mission. Sure. I mean, so I started as a kind of war correspondent. I reported on the conflict in Northern Ireland for years, then Central America, did a, a, a documentary about 
miners in this country and in the UK and, and covered the big miners strike there. I spent time in the Middle East, all over. And throughout that period, part of my mission was we need to sound the alarm about what's happening in the world. And I did that for decades. And in fact, we saw much of a lot of media emerge during that period that gave us new ways to find out about all the terrible things that are happening in the world. What was lacking, it seemed to me, was news media that connected us to change, like how we could be part of it, how it actually gets made, and examples of viable alternative ways to organize life that maybe weren't pipe dreams, but either existing right now or had existed in the past or could exist um, within the foreseeable future. So the tagline for the show has become The Laura Flanders Show, the place where the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the people who are doing it. I am so excited to be speaking with author Wayne Hoffman for this episode of Trailer Talk. I want to welcome you all to join us at this kitchen table as we have a conversation about Wayne's newly released nonfiction book, The End of Her, Racing Against Alzheimer's to Solve a Murder by Heliotrope Books. He is an award-winning novelist and veteran journalist whose work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Village Voice, The Nation, The Forward, Out, and elsewhere. He is currently the executive editor of Tablet Magazine, he lives in New York City and Livingston Manor, which is a small town in the Sullivan County Catskills of upstate New York. He has also written three novels, Hard and its sequel, An Older Man, and the Stonewall Book Award winning Sweet Like Sugar. I'm so happy to finally have this conversation with you about this book, The End of Her, Racing Against Alzheimer's to Solve a Murder. Wayne, welcome. Thank you. And then another reoccurring theme, I mean, of course, there are many, but that come to mind right now are the cat skills. So yes. I would like to also discuss that with you. And the other thing is you being gay and this journey with your mother around that yes. and navigating that. So Passover was always the big holiday for my mother and, and for all of us. She was born on Passover in 1940. And so it was always a special holiday for her. It's a holiday that my parents hosted in their, uh, they would host the satyrs in their home since the time I was a child. And we'd have 25 people sort of routinely. Uh, after a while, after my grandfather died and my father relinquished his duties and my brother who became a rabbi had a satyr of his own, I, the sort of gay leftist atheist wound up running the Seder for the last 30 years, which is sort of a comedy unto itself. Well, wait, and let me just say one thing to our listeners. The very first sentence of this book is, I was always my mother's favorite. I was. I, I <laughs> asked my brother and sister about that just this past week during Passover, and neither yeah. put up an argument. <laughs> um, Passover was always my favorite holiday too. I, am, I grew up in an observant traditional Jewish home. But today I don't really observe much, but Passover I do observe. I still host the Seder, I, I lead the Seder, I just did this past week. It's a holiday you observe at home. It's not about going to synagogue. It's really about gathering around the table and ritual and telling stories again and again. And if there's anything my family has always been good at, it's telling stories again and again. My mother was such a good storyteller that when she told a story you'd already heard, 
no one stopped her and said, I've already heard this. People said, I love this story, tell it again. Mm -hmm. It's the same way you sort of put on your favorite music again and again, you watch your, your favorite TV show again and again. So my mother made Passover what it is. And Passover is one of the two times as an adult that I saw her every year. Every year, no matter where I was, I would go home to Maryland for Passover. And every year, since my husband and I bought a house in the Catskills in 2005, every year for July 4th, my parents would come up to our house. July 4th, because it's a long weekend, but it's also because their wedding anniversary is July 1st. And in 1962, after they got married in Newark, New Jersey, they honeymooned in the Catskills at the Neville, which is no longer here, but it's, it's just 15, 20 minutes from our home in Livingston Manor. So the Catskills became a place that they also would come every year. So those were sort of our two touchstones, Passover with my mother and 4th of July in the Catskills. Once my mother started to decline, you could sort of trace her, her progress with Alzheimer's from one Passover to the next, from one 4th of July to the next. It became a very easy way to keep track of how much worse things were getting. This year is not much worse than last year. Oh, this year is so dramatically worse than last year. I think this is the last year. No, let's try this one more time. Oh, that was a terrible idea. Um, you also asked about being gay. My mother and I have been, we were always close. But when I came out to her as a teenager, I won't say it was perfect, but it went relatively well. Um, I opened the book with, you know, describing how, how that went for me and for her. Many years ago, I had written a piece for uh, an anthology called Mama's Boy, Gay Men Write About Their Mothers. And I had written a story, or I tried to write a story uh, about coming out to my mother and what that was like. I came out to, and, and told over the course of a few Passovers. But I realized I didn't have her side of the story. I didn't know how she felt when I told her I was gay. I didn't know mm -hmm. what she was thinking and what she was going through. She had her own process. And so at that point, all those years ago, I called her on the phone and interviewed her as a journalist to find out and ask her questions. When, I, when this happened to me, what were you feeling? When we had this conversation, I know what I felt. What were you feeling? What were you thinking? What were you afraid of? So I'm fortunate that I had a lot of her inner feelings about having a gay son. I already knew them because I literally interviewed her about this 20 years ago. Um, I already had this conversation yes. in a very explicit way that most people don't ever do. I wasn't surmising how she felt. She told me verbatim how she felt. I have it all down in her words. So as an adult, she was, she was terrific. She wasn't the kind to march in pride parades, but mm -hmm. she was certainly welcoming of my husband and me and enjoyed spending time with us. And we traveled around the world together. Uh, and her trips to the Catskills become something we all looked forward to. This is Sabrina. I'm in Monticello, New York at the courthouse and today is June 24th, 2022, a, sig a significant day for the United States. Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. There is a protest rally on Broadway here on the Main Street. Uh, please introduce yourself. I'm Alex Dancer. So here we are, a day for me of, of uh, I'm enraged, I'm devastated, I'm determined and uh, going to be looking for more ways to be in solidarity with women in need. I'm sad. I'm really, really, really sad and scared. And um, in a way, I'm curious to see because most of the citizens of the United States support a woman's right to choose. So I'm curious to see what happens. 
I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm just could be hopeful for election day. And talking about this hope and the sadness that you said that you're experiencing right now with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, also that I'm a minority made the decision for majority of people in the United States? It's been like that for many, many major decisions. Um, power, power. I don't, I don't know what to say. How can, how can people take power from us? And this sadness that you're experiencing, you're certainly not alone with that. I'm just wondering if you can share the generation you come from, what you've experienced, and what this moment in 2022 means. I'm 82 years old. I'm going to come out now, folks. I had an illegal abortion when I was 18. My parents helped me. They supported me. But it was a horrible thing to go through. It was horrible nice girls like me didn't go through that and nice families like mine didn't have to do that. Um, so that's the generation I come from. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Kanitha Corley. I have a podcast called Tea Time with Bunky. And what are you doing here today? I found out about this at 4.30 this afternoon. And the fact that this right was taken away from women and I have a granddaughter, how dare you tell me or anybody else what to do with their body? This is how I feel, like you're telling me what I can do or any other woman can do with their body when that decision is between them and God. And I have a big problem with that, a big problem with that. And what are your biggest concerns? What do you feel is at stake with this decision being made today? This is one of the first steps of a big decision being taken away. Civil rights next. Um, LBG, LB, the gay community, um, losing their rights to marry, the voting rights. This is just the beginning. It's, this is the beginning of the end, it feels like. Like my heart is so broken. I haven't had time to process it. You know, so this is the beginning of the end. This is what it feels like. And you mentioned so many rights that are on the verge of being taken away. You also mentioned civil rights. And we know that women of color, women and girls of color, and people that have economic challenges are the hardest hit by this decision, the most vulnerable. Can you talk to us about that? Well, we know, I, we actually talked about this last night on my podcast. When I had um, my friend Allison McCarthy from South Carolina. And we talked about um, how African-American women, we always have been the total bottom of the barrel. We've had no rights. They've used ourselves, they use our body. We are like experiments. And so people doing this and taking away our rights, it just feels as if we can go back to that. And people are okay with it. That's the problem. That's the problem. What are your next ste steps in this fight? stand up and speak out that's what I've been doing that's what I'm going to continue to do because I don't feel as if anyone has the right to tell me what to do with my body my body my choice at the end of the day you know, um, just keep speaking out keep getting people out there to vote because that's how this mess happened 
You know, they got their people in that agreed with this. They got them in to vote, and this is how this decision was made. We knew it when Ruth Ginsburg passed away. We knew what was going to happen, and this is just the result. So just get people out there to vote. Aileen Gunther has been a representative since 2003. Well, thank you for having me, Sabrina. And it's a beautiful day in Sullivan County. The skies are blue and it, the air smells so clean. And that's what Sullivan County is all about and why I love it and why uh, I'm very happy that a lot of people in our community are very concerned about the environment, which is I'm um, on the NCON committee and how important our water and our air, clean air and our, our forested areas are to our community. And so uh, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to represent the community of Sullivan and part of Orange County. Um, I'm just a background. I'm going to go really quick, Sabrina. Um, <laughs> okay. I was, okay, wait one second before you get to background. You are on many committees. So I just want to share with our listeners some of them, because I know we're going to talk about some of these issues, which are vital issues uh, for your district. So you were the chair of the Committee on Mental Health, the Subcommittee on Women's Health, the Committee on Agriculture. You're a member of Environmental Conservation, uh, Women's Issues, the Women's Caucus, the Puerto Rican Hispanic task force, and that doesn't include everything. So I just want to let our listeners know that. Please share with us what you were going to talk about, how this happened, because you have been an assembly member since 2003. My mom was always involved in the Bronx in politics and, and community and things that went on in the community. So it comes from a long line of my family members. My dad was a police officer in New York City. You know, for me, uh, when we came to Sullivan County, I lived in California before. We moved to Forestburg, New York, and um, got involved in my community in Forestburg, New York. Uh, my husband at one point decided that he'd run for the New York State Assembly. You know, he was always involved in politics and very interested. He loved Sullivan County, and he loved the environment that it gave to so many people, and he just thought... I want to do this. And people supported him. And so fast forward, he passed away. Suddenly, he was diagnosed with um, an illness and he died within a month and a half to two months. And, um, you know, it was a terrible moment. And, you know, I had always been behind the scenes and, you know, I knew what was going on. I knew about legislation. You know, I was a nurse in the community. I knew about health care. I knew about a lot of things in Sullivan County because I talked to my patients a lot and about what they liked about it and what was needed in Sullivan. And when people started poking their heads out, I thought, you know, why not me? Why not me? And, you know, it we took a lot of courage. And, you know, I was not always that person that stood in front of a crowd and spoke. You know, I thought, I'm going to give it a try. And, you know, I know I'll, I know inside me, I'll, I'm doing it for the right thing. And, and I got elected and, I, and I've loved it ever since. And you've gotten elected again and again. This is 19 years later from the time as you're sharing with us. Yep. Your husband had an untimely death, and that's Jake Gunther. And you stepped up. And as you said, you were a nurse. You were in the community, very hands-on uh, in nursing and listening to what people were saying. So what do you... I just want to say that somebody made a comment about, you know, my my length of time. And I have said in the comment that 
as a nurse when I was green and I first got on the floor of a hospital, you know, I didn't know everything and I got better over time. And when I look at myself and I evaluate myself, I've only gotten better over time. I really have. And, you know, my uh, success in passing over 100 pieces of legislation that most of them signed into law and the amount of money taxpayers paid into the state of New York, but I brought back and the community uh, development that it has assisted in, whether it be a hospital, whether it be um, a living community, you know, it's been very, very important or food or the Federation. You know, we've really tried to make sure we took care of anybody that knocked on our door. From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artel. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels.